Welcome to Rationalish, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here with you. I'm your co-host, Morgan Wack, and I'm with the perspicacious Eddie Matthews. Hey, what's up? I wish I knew what that word meant. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I, I I went through some thesaurus, some thesaurus time to come up with a good one for you today. I think you can... Uh, a variation of that word, I think, is perspicacity. I think I've heard that used. Ooh. And I was like... Oh, sorry, I didn't realize my version was just less, even less fancy than it needed to be. No, I'm just saying that people who use the word <laughs> perspicacity, are, their head is so far up their own ass that they can't it's, see if it's like raining almost to the level of indubitably, which is only ever used to mock pretend like your yeah. head is up your ass. You can't say <laughs> you can't say indubitably without sounding pretentious. That's an inherently pretentious. I don't thing. think it's possible. I think you're immediately shunned if you actually use indubitably in real conversation. Yeah. As you should be. I would love to hear that happen. I would love to hear it happen. Hey, I have a someday. question for you. Oh no. <laughs> what is it, Eddie? Well, I've been um so you know how there's um there's another uh podcast that covers all the same topics that we do called rash rationalish and uh <laughs> those copycats yeah we're suing yeah yeah and it has so. two women co-hosts and i realized that they get paid way less than we do <laughs> I don't know what to deal with. I, mean, I don't know what to do with that cuz like we make so much more money on uh just streams and such that I don't know how to kind of like rectify the situation. I mean, I find it hard to believe that they get paid less than we do considering our paychecks are pretty paltry. <laughs> considering we uh, make a negative income on this spot. <laughs> yeah, considering we have to pay for the space online, I find it hard to believe, but uh you know, it just doesn't seem right. That's right. So we're talking about the pay gap between the U.S. men's national soccer team and the U.S. women's national soccer team. Um, and I'd like to give a quick shout out to Ali Passanante Yams, who K's idea this was. And it's also, as of this recording, so not when we release it, but as of this recording, her birthday No today. way. So quick shout out to Yams. Yeah. It, number one listener. This is a Yams episode. Mm, definitely. If We should have had her on. She's in Uganda right now doing some research, but we're going to have her on at some point. Sweet. Uh, and also a disclaimer, yeah. there's planes that fly over where my car is parked, so you'll probably hear some... Some nice Boeing seven forty sevens in the. Um, I don't believe it. I think it's. I think it's just you with your your hands cupped around your mouth going. That's called special effects, my friend. <laughs> hey, that's why we make the big bucks. I think that's where the pay yeah, comes no, in. Yeah, no, that makes it's starting to make sense now. <laughs> it's just quality. All right, so you want to give a brief brief summary of what the the issue is no man you do it you're the soccer what give okay, us give our right, listeners right. who don't maybe don't know like a background on you were a two-time slow county league mvp <laughs> in high school is that right uh i mean i like to say uh pack seven because it makes it sound a lot more legit than like the d3 high school uh, league that we were but yeah. uh yeah that's right I, uh, <laughs> and you got you went to pretty much an expert on this. You issue. went to Colorado College. I also had a, on uh, 
I also had a minor in economics, so I'm pretty much the most qualified person that could possibly be talking yeah. about this. And you went to so, Colorado yeah. College on like a nearly <laughs> full ride, or I, it was just a like a, this snuck me snuck me in the back yeah. door, said not to pay attention to my grades, yeah. and uh, basically, yeah, yeah, breaking NCAA rules. Yeah, and so you're a collegiate soccer player, which um, is why you're able to kind of go <laughs> into all these prestigious say, schools because everybody, you know, all of us know that. Without that soccer, you know, I'm just trying to say you're a dumbass. <laughs> Let me just, oh, thanks, man. Let me just say that I know I was actually really bummed about this whole uh, like college scandal, right? Because the way that they got in everywhere was like using college sports as a way of like getting kids with poor grades into school. And I'm like, man, yeah. like college athletics, we always get we already get shit on for everyone thinking we're <laughs> dumb jocks. Like now you're just you're just like building the stereotype up, yeah, making it even worse. Not yeah, cool. it wasn't cool. until that came out mm. that I realized that Doreen paid two hundred fifty thousand dollars to the Colorado <laughs> yeah. College head coach. Yeah, to take her son. Yeah, it's uh, our entire like very like aggressively middle class lifestyle was uh, <laughs> was all just a ploy so that we could hide this money and get in the back door. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so That's being it. the <laughs> resident soccer, not just athlete, but also you know aficionado, you went to. You flew to the Ukraine from South Africa for the Champions League last year uh, to see it in person. So you're a pretty full-on full on fan. So take it away. I mean, the fact that you just brought the Champions League is going to have to make me go on a little bit of a tangent here again before we start. Just like to give a shout-out to, to Liverpool Football Club, who just won their sixth Champions League more than any other English Premier League team by more than tw- double, uh, third most in history. Um Quite a game. Tottenham played their hearts out, but uh, got to give it to Jurgen Klopp and the boys from uh, from Merseyside. Anyway, so the basically the gender gender pay gap. Uh, the we're not really going to talk about the gender pay gap in the U.S., but more about specifically looking at uh, a suit that the U.S. Women's National Team has filed for gender discrimination against the U.S. Soccer Federation, who funds both the men's and women's team. Um, and their argument is that. With basically the same amount of uh, effort and time commitments and actually better, far better performance, the women team on average get paid less than the men's team, um, even though they are the U.S. Uh, Soccer Federation has actually dueled a, s- a set fee from FIFA and they are the ones that dole it out. It's no, um, there's no guarantee that any one player or any one team will get a specific amount of money. Um, and that's basically the litigation. It's conducted by a few of the players on the women's team, some some very good players. Um, and this is all in the build-up to the Women's World Cup, so I'm sure you'll hear a lot more about this, um, especially if the women's team goes far, which hopefully they will. And uh, so, yeah, that's the basic, uh, the basic underlying claim, is that the women's team should get paid at least as much, if not more, than the men's team, considering their performance and their abilities on the field. Cool. Uh, before we get into how we think about this, why don't you yeah. like make the case for uh, the women's team getting paid equal? Make the strongest case you can for that. I mean, I think the, 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 the thing that they have working most of their side is just how much better they are and more dominant they are than the men's team relative to their competition. I mean, the women's team, I think three-time 
world champs. Um, the men's team has never been to a final. Literally missed the last World Cup, which is still one of the most uh, just damaging things I've ever seen, and really indescribably bad. Um, but other than that, I mean, the fact that it's doled out evenly. Um, and the women's team has been pulling in much larger crowds in recent years. It used to be quite a, a much larger disparity in terms of um, turnout, but that's no longer the case given their performances. Um, they are basically the main, I would say, women's sports attraction in the United States of any sport. Um, they represent more than just soccer. They represent you know everything that sports are to kids and individuals of, of all genders to have determination, grit, uh, hard work, and the ability to come together as a team and fight against adversity. Um, a lot of really, really great uh, role models. Um, and the fact that they make less than a men's team that can't even qualify in CONCACAF, which is a region <laughs> where you pretty much have to just not show up to, to not qualify for the World Cup. Um, it it would make me angry as well if I was getting paid less for the same amount of work. CONCACAF sounds like a children's TV show that my nephew would watch on Netflix. <laughs> All of the names are really bad. UEFA's not terrible, but there's Common Bowl is the South America one, which is arguably even worse. Um, they should just go with something that isn't an acronym at that point. Yeah. But, you know, more power to them. They're corrupt. They can do whatever yeah. they want. <laughs> um, okay. So the lawsuit was filed on International Women's Day, March 8th. Um, what a coincidence. Basically, yeah, I wonder if they thought about that. <laughs> uh, the Atlantic article says that uh, this is just quoting the article. Despite the fact that in res- recent years, the women's team has generated more profits and revenue for U.S. Soccer Federation, earned larger viewing audiences, and played more games than the men's. Um, they've earned 38% of the men's pay per game. Um, and then they, uh, the article talks about how you know they've won three World Cup titles, four Olympic gold medals, um, and then, as you mentioned, you know the U.S. men's team didn't even make the uh, World Cup um, in 2018, and then in 2014, well, we did okay, round of 16. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, for for the men's team, yeah, that's, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, but women's yeah, team yeah. that'd be horrible. Um, mm-hmm. So, I guess I, I yeah. Um, it's interesting because the Atlantic article then couches it in all this kind of history about gender pay differences. I guess, like, up front, I'll start about how... Um, uh, here's that plane going over. I'll just talk about how it frustrates me when people yeah, usually talk about the gender pay gap because it's a really complicated uh, issue. And I think people look at it and they're like, women make 79 cents to every dollar that men make as if, as if to, as if a man and a woman both doing the same accounting job at the same firm, working the same amount of hours that they would just pay the women, the you know, 79 cents to the dollar just because she's a woman. I feel like that's like the thrust of kind of the outrage and the argument a lot of times. And that's such a strange um, just simplification of such a like multifaceted problem. 
Um, you have the problem of women tend to prefer jobs that have more flexibility. And so those jobs tend to pay less. Uh, you have women tend to self-select more into, I guess, what you could call the humanities fields. And men tend to self-select more into the STEM fields. Um, and the STEM fields uh, typically pay more. And so that's like another issue. Um, and then you have, you know, the also the child rearing t women tend to, to uh, have jobs that allow them to still kind of take time off and raise children. I thought you were going to say women tend to have kids yeah. more than men. <laughs> um, and so that's also like another factor into it. So I think all of that amounts to a permanent uh, gender pay gap. I mean, as permanent as I can think, I don't see any of those things changing anytime soon. And I also don't, I don't know, see that as a problem or I guess like, why, why would that be a problem? Uh, and obviously there, I'm sure there's cases of discrimination and I'm sure there's, um, you know, maybe certain fields where it's, um, just difficult, more difficult, unreasonably difficult for women to kind of, uh, get a leg up or get a leg ahead. Um, and I think you could kind of take those, uh, discipline by discipline and, and, and make like a decent case, but for the overall kind of generalization to say that, that it, this is a, like a moral injustice in American society. I don't see that at all. That's just generalizing I mean, this towards is... the gender pay gap point. Yeah, I mean, we, I don't want to get too much into the gender. We can no, do we don't. We don't have to. It's just the, the Atlantic article like couched this in the wider context of that's like the only reason why I kind of brought that part up. And it's kind of a, it's a, I feel like it's the subtext for the lawsuit in a way where it's like having it filed on International Women's Day tends to try to put that uh, in the larger. Uh, narrative, you know. Of course, I mean, uh, I, I mean, it's difficult, if not impossible, to talk about without at least referencing the larger gender pay gap discussion. I mean, we, our first actual podcast on uh, for Rationalish was about the role that celebrities and athletes play in bringing kind of these more endemic, quotidian issues to the public light, and I think this is one of those examples. Um, it is a very complicated issue. I don't think there's, I don't harbor any ill will for them filing this, this complaint. I think it's a completely legitimate complaint. And I think that, uh, we'll talk about that more here in a second. What I'll say about the, the gender, I pay guess gap I disagree. Is that, yes. Well, I think it, sorry, I don't, we'll talk about it in a bit, but I disagree that it's, uh, well, let me All finish right. my talk on the gender pay gap first, but, uh, the, it is the seventy nine cents to the dollar thing. I agree is is totally, totally simplifying a very complex issue. I think the the problems do exist. They are in areas where we are not focusing our attention, which is why I think that this specific lawsuit might not do as much for the larger issue as people may hope. Because I think a lot of the the issue from a lot of the studies have shown that the problem outside of the structural issues is that when these sorts of discriminatory actions were far more uh, common, 
it was about mobility within a company and a firm rather than introduction, introductory pay, and those sorts of issues. Though that differences in introductory pay do exist, it is mostly, if you look at most industries, the reason that the gender pay gap is so drastic is because the upper management in a lot of industries, particularly finance and banking, um, are almost exclusively white men. And that's because they, almost all industries are based on you hire and you promote based on longevity. And back in the 70s, when a lot of these people started, 70s and 80s, the world isn't the same place, wasn't the same place as it is today. Um, And I think as time goes on, I mean, if you took away everyone over the age of 40 from current practices and you uh, ignored kind of upper management, then I think there would be a lot less... Uh, there would be far less uh, obvious examples of discrimination. That doesn't mean that will solve everything. Um, I'm a huge proponent of paid paternity and maternity leave. I think that when you say that there's nothing that you can do, I think that is a clear-cut structural policy that will and has been shown in countries that have adopted that, that it has a dramatic impact on uh, the gender pay gap and what people choose mm. to do. Would that um, be mandatory? I mean, it would be you wouldn't. I don't think you can make something mandatory for someone to take it, but it would be mandatory for people to. Yeah, okay. Because I just I would see a lot of men just opting out of that and just working and making more money. You know. Yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't solve everything. Obviously, in like banking and things like that, where there's this underlying greed for and this kind of uh, desire to see people work above and beyond the hours that they're asked. There's nothing you can really do about that. But in a lot of industries, I think people would take the maternity leave and paternity I'd leave. I'd take it. Um, I mean, the, U- the U.S. is one of, I think, three countries in the world that doesn't have required maternity leave. Yeah. Um, so we're a ways away. <laughs> we don't even have maternity leave. Uh, but yeah, I think that's that's a very concrete example of how you can actually address these things politically from a structural side. Um, but yeah, we can get back into the, the women-specific national yeah. issue here if you want, but that's, uh, that's my thoughts on the gender pay gap. It does exist. It's a lot more complicated than people yeah. say. Um, um, so yeah, back to soccer. I think to me, there's kind of an irony in the fact that they just, uh, recently renegotiated their collective bargaining agreement and like came to an agreement on that. And then this lawsuit comes out and the U S soccer federation's like, well, we just negotiated this collective bargaining agreement and and he didn't really address the lawsuit, but you know, I wouldn't it make sense if you were, uh, you know, part of this team and this was something that you saw as egregious, wouldn't it make sense to kind of strike until you got a better bargaining agreement that, that was more equal than what they negotiated? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely the most challenging thing about this issue. I think... If you wanted to have completely equal pay, you would have to create a dual bargaining system with the men. If you're bargaining as two separate groups, regardless of differentiations in power, they're never ever going to end up equal. I mean, the the women's team, they don't make as much per game, but they actually 
have a lot, a far greater number of individuals that get paid than the men's team. For the men's team, you only get paid if you make the team and you play in that tournament. For the women's team, if you, even if you're left off the squad one tournament, if you're in the collective action bargaining agreement, you still get right. paid. Right, and that's it's, a it's, conscious choice, it's obviously. Hit, yeah, absolutely, and that's that's just a difference. Like you could see the same thing in labor unions. Some people will go for kind of the aggregate, everyone's pay gets raised a couple dollars, and some people will try to raise the pay of the union leaders or the some you know the second tier kind of longevity award award longevity and uh and commitment um yeah so i mean th- that's difficult to argue it's if they were getting paid the exact same per game and they were paying um far more individuals then i think the men's team would have a similar claim so that definitely makes it more challenging yeah um it just seems silly to me to structure your bargaining agreement to incentivize, you know, no, I mean, that's like a very good choice if that's like what you come to, because it's cool because everybody gets paid, you know, regardless of how much they move on and off kind of this, the, the, I guess, playing squad. Um, but it lowers the collective or the pay that everybody makes because there's more people being paid. And so to kind of turn around and be like, but wait, but we don't make as much as the men whose pay structure we're comparing ourselves to, even though they negotiated it, as you said, you know, to, to pay less and for only the people that play. So that's a strange, for me, there's, that's like a strange double standard. Yeah, I, I agree on that. I think that's, that's difficult to challenge, especially since it just got renegotiated two years ago. Um, and you have to keep in mind that these are, the women's and men's national team are occurring within the context of very different sporting environments. Women's national soccer team is the focal point of the entire sport. Um, the, although there is a professional soccer league, it is very much not a dominant force in television or sporting rights. Well, men's soccer is the most watched uh, sport on the planet. Um, so it's, the men get paid so much more for their clubs yeah. than the women do that I can see why the women would want to push for the most money possible for the most number of people because they're really the only ones that can make a living off of these types of salaries. Where the men, even if you're playing in the third division, you can make a living until you're 35. Right. Um, personally, I, I mean, I was going to wait to bring this on earlier or later, but just in the context of this issue, I actually really don't think the men should get paid anything. Maybe incentives for winning games in the World Cup. Other than that, I don't... There was a, a an article that came out on ESPN, I believe, or maybe The Ringer, about uh, all the stuff that happened behind closed doors when Klinsman was the manager of the men's national team. Right. Oh, and, and can how you, a, a couple... Uh, just for... Because yeah. I think most, uh, you know, fans of pro sports that are... that might be listening to this who don't know about soccer, uh, something I just... Uh, learned was that basically to my understanding um, for Klinsman or for any of the, you know, premier league coaches, the coach is also GM. Is that right? That's conflated in one position. Um, It's not necessarily conflated. A lot of times the, uh, the larger managers will like basically work into their contract that they have the Hiring and the final okay. hiring and firing. So how do they work for Klinsman? Uh, but a lot of coaches, a lot of coaches don't. Um, for, so the men's national team is, is different than okay. the club teams. 
Um, Klinsman, I think because he was Jurgen Klinsman, had a lot of power where other coaches wouldn't have. Um, because so the men, the national teams are different than the club teams because the club teams actually have to purchase players to come. So you need somebody who's actually controlling the money to be in charge of the final decision. A coach just can't be like, all right, I want him, and then spend yeah. some some purse that he doesn't actually have, unless you're Pep Guardiola. Um, and you have all of Qatar's money, but that's a, that's a stab at Guardiola <laughs> in Manchester City. But uh, yeah, Jurgen Klinsmann, because you're a national team coach, you basically have a set uh, number of players you know that are qualified for the U.S. team, and then he pretty much had final say about who he brought in and who he cut. So it's different for the the national team coaches and managers versus the the regular managers of okay. teams. Um, yeah. So yeah, sorry to finish out your point with. Klinsman. Um Yeah, no, so so there was basically this this player called his name's Timmy Timothy Chandler. Timmy Chandler is what they call him. And he's from Frankfurt, but he played for the, the men's national team. He qualified for the US men's national team. And uh prior to one of the last games it, where the US didn't qualify for the World Cup, there's a quote of him which I hope is true or else these guys really did him dirty because this would be a terrible thing to have uh, said about you. But apparently he went up to one of the other players who was wasn't feeling well, he had an injured ankle or something. I was like, dude, just sit out. Like, these aren't the guys that are paying you your big bucks. Your club team is. Don't risk it here. And that is the most infuriating thing to me of of anything. I mean, this is the men's national team. This is what, like, little kids around the world dream of playing for their team in the World Cup and having a chance to step onto that pitch and represent their country. And if you are in it because of who pays the bills, I don't think you should be out there. I don't care how good you are. You should not be playing for the national team of your country if finances are the most important thing. Yeah, I think I agree, but I guess I would go one step further in that we should be able to build a team with such world-class players that they're getting paid, you know, big salaries in Europe so that a few hundred thousand dollars isn't going to make like a huge difference either way, you know? So Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, some of these players play MLS and, you know... $300,000 $300,000 is a lot to, to anybody. It's not nothing. But if you're, it should not be, you shouldn't be rewarded just for playing for the national team at all. Maybe for going far in the World Cup as a, on the men's team. But you really, there should be so many, so many personal incentives. That's what the national team is for, is to represent your country, not to make money. So you would, you would basically swing it because of the way that there's not any money outside of the national team and women's soccer, you would swing the pay gap the other way to compensate for that there being a lack of an industry there? Yeah, well, I think they should. you should be re- rewarded for great performance. I mean, I think they are so much more important to young women than the men's national team just because they are not really comparable other sports for women to look up to. Um, I mean, say what you will about the, the WNBA, but it's not the same as um, a lot of the men's sports. And I think that the financing they get should not be compared to the men's, but it should help in every way possible to promote the women's game at all levels of soccer. And I think that's the main part of their argument that I agree with. They are saying that the women's team is not advertised nearly as much by U.S. soccer. They aren't put in as many ads. Their games aren't um, made publicly available as far in advance as the men's team. And that sort of thing is, is to me, inexcusable. I think 
that the chance and, and what they do represent to a lot, not just young women, but young men and, and every of every gender. Um, I think that kind of the comparison between the two is, is almost null because of the, the entirely different strata and, and kind of industry that they're in beyond the national team. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think, um, I guess I, there's kind of two conflicting opinions like in there for me because I think, um, I guess my first instinct would be like, well, I think at the end of the day, these are businesses. And if there's not money in women's soccer, do we have a moral obligation for there to like pump money into it in order to like maybe find a market? But I don't think, I guess the other half of the argument that I would counter my own point with that is probably a better argument is that, well, if you look at the entire infrastructure of youth leagues for girls, teenagers, like club teams, you know, the stuff like your sister Demi played in, um, all the way up, I guess without the pro level, because is there a pro women's soccer team in... Yeah, there is. There is. Yeah, the Portland Thorns are the yeah, winning champions, I, just, I believe. I, I, I don't know. Say what you want about that. I don't know. I don't know about that part. But I think if you're to kind of um, get the Under Armors of the world and the Nikes and like, I don't really start putting money into it from a top-down level to try to just generate more market value. I think that makes a lot of sense. I guess. So not just isolating it, oh, let's put a lot more money into the U.S. Soccer Women's Federation so that we can get, you know, more kids playing because we like soccer and we want to be better at it in the world, but more of let's, uh, you know, this women's team is already dominant in the world. Let's use that and capitalize on, you know, creating really like a culture among kids and young women and then, you know, having that reflected in the different markets, whether that's, you know, apparel or shoes or cleats or I don't, I don't know. Do you know what I'm trying to get at? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you can see this in, in movies. I think the argument that it's unprofitable unpro- is kind of disingenuous because it doesn't, although it, it is largely, even the, the men's team, like the World Cup, I think the the stat that's pretty damning is like the women's world cup last time around brought in like 383 million around the world or something like that. Yeah. So I, I'll, and I'll the, uh, the NBC article okay, yeah, yeah, talked right about the how the yeah. women's world cup brought in almost 73 million, um, four years Was ago. And then the 2010 men's world cup in South Africa made almost 4 billion. And so the NBC article is making the point. It's like, Hey, it's pretty straightforward math. The players got, um, you know, 9% of the total revenue uh, for the men's. So 9% of that $4 billion, which was $348 million. And the women's team actually got a higher percentage, the article states, with 13%. But they still, 13% of $73 million was $10 million. So $10 million versus $348 million was meted out to the team. So it's kind of like... Yeah, uh, the, the the case that the NBC um, article is making is like, well, it's, you know, great if you want women to make the same uh, as men for these athletes, but uh, just look at the numbers, I think. It's just basically the, the bottom line that that uh, person's getting. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a few, so I just wanted to make a few comments. So I think the the reason that this is slightly disingenuous, I mean, I don't think you could ever, that gap is so large that I don't think you could realistically say that it's advertising that's not bridging that gap. But I think that you can see with movies and television shows that the pre-release marketing has a huge impact on how many people go to yeah. see a movie. And I think that you could say the same thing about the Women's World Cup and a lot of these other events. Um, you can stimulate demand for something. If you couldn't, there would be no such thing as advertising and marketing to begin with. Um, you wouldn't need to. People would just buy what they preferred. Uh, there's a reason those things exist and people spend billions of dollars on them. And the fact that the U.S. Federation hasn't done uh, like a fair job kind of committing to the women's team, and they're, especially while they've been so dominant, I think is, is a bit of... Uh, a knock against them, but I, I mean, it's, I it's think, tough to argue against the fact I, I that think they you have to, had more, a higher percentage. Of I think the you share, have to yeah. define what a fair job is. Like, how much money would be fair? Completely equal in terms of advertising? Well, I mean, uh, my, I mean, advertising is, is a bit different. I think, I mean, it's just, well, <laughs> the men's national team they didn't even really need to to advertise because they literally. I don't think the U.S. men, the Federation has to advertise for the Men's World Cup at all because people want to watch it and whoever has the TV rights has just wants people to watch it, so they pay for the That was the other... Commercials. The U.S. men's team doesn't... Of, I guess, they don't subsidize advertisements. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, you could say the same thing. There, there's a large audience for the women as well, but it's... Uh, I mean, most of this just makes me mad that FIFA gets $4 billion and then has basically no oversight, and who knows what happens to yeah, that money. Yeah, FIFA's the um, most corrupt organization <laughs> um, that I can possibly think of. I mean, honestly, when I, the more I read about this, the more I think that it's not really the U.S. Soccer Federation's problem. They've actually divvied this up rather fairly. Um, I, I still understand the the argument, and I think that filing a lawsuit is not in any way uh, like despicable or anything like that. I, I don't know if they'll win or not. I'd be fine either way. But I think that the the, mon- the amount of money that FIFA invests in the women's game worldwide versus the men's, even though they invest very little in the men's, even yeah. <laughs> if you go to a lot of African countries, it's like, okay, FIFA <laughs> is making hundreds of millions of dollars off his team being in the World Cup and uniform rights and stadium rights, and yet... There's no fields in this entire country that have nets. Um, it's a little ridiculous, but it's even less so for women. Um, and I, I think that the problem, you know, as always, comes from the top down. If you have no oversight on the top and you can't kind of stimulate growth and investment in these types of sports, it makes it very I guess very the question for me is that I don't know enough about soccer for to answer this question, but is... Because I've never watched the Women's World Cup. And so is... Well, you better watch it this summer. We'll get you into yeah. it. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> for me, when I look at the WNBA so and the NBA, <laughs> yeah. uh, the reason one is more popular than the other is self-evident. And it's not, and it has nothing to yeah, do with... Yeah, I think it's a, lot, it's a lot less... It's way less self-evident when it comes to women's okay. soccer. Um, I think the th- the thing about m- women's basketball versus men's is that the game is so decided by kind of height and physical factors. Like all of, there's a reason that the average basketball player is like six seven. 
Um, for soccer, it doesn't really matter as much about your predetermined physical skill set as it does about kind of your training and your ability to see the field and a lot of mental factors. Not that those don't exist in basketball, but they're just more dominant in soccer. And so the women's game, take away just max speed and everything else is pretty similar. They play very similar style. And so this, this actually leads me into another interesting point. You should watch it because the, the women's team is very exciting. But the the... The there was a women's coach. I think it was France. Um, uh, one of the club teams, one of the best club teams in the world. Lyon is is uh, famous for being a very very solid women's team. They've won the women's Champions League quite a few times. And I think it was one of the coaches from France said that the women should sh- uh, shorten or narrow the size of the goals for women's soccer because they don't need to do everything like the men. And it was everyone was uh, saying, like, "Oh, that's really offensive." Blah, 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 blah. But the more I thought about it, and at first I, I had that reaction as well. But the more I thought about it, the ball is actually smaller for the women's game as well. Um, if you look at other sports, where in in Europe where women's sports are more popular, it's things like handball and lacrosse and and field hockey and things where the sports are actually slightly different for men and women. And it's not that they're worse it just makes it a slightly different strategic game so when you watch like men's basketball versus women's the reason it's hard to get into women's basketball i think is because you see them do something you're like oh well i could just watch somebody a lot bigger do that like a lot more dramatically and it's hard to get into it but i think for women's soccer the the skill level was so close that if you slightly tweaked what exactly was happening it would almost be a different game and it would be it would draw less comparisons to the men's game, even though it's it's a closer, smaller gap. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what you think about that. I, I think it's, it'd probably still come off as, as offensive to a lot of women players that they're the ones that need to change the game. But, when you uh, were first telling me that d- idea off off air, uh, yeah. that's not how you phrased it. You said it has to do with their menstrual I don't even remember. cycles. And I thought that was offensive <laughs> and strange, and there was no logic there. And I didn't. Thanks. Yeah. So I'm just trying to like <laughs> gather what you mean now because before it is not what you said at all. Mm. Yeah, that's exactly how I phrased it off air. So I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> um, no, I think that's a. I think that's uh, a. I think it's yeah. Remember to give us a five star rating, <laughs> folks. Uh. Yeah, I think it's a an interesting idea. Um, I think that. Yeah, it requires a lawsuit saying that they should be paid equal and kind of couching it under the terms that it's currently couched under is not addressing the problem. And I feel like, like to, again, I bring to, to bring it back to the theme of what this podcast is, it's, I feel like we try to ask the right questions. And should men and women should the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team, as it is right now with the World Cup and the, uh, you know, TV lucrative deals and the advertising as it is, should they be paid the same is not addressing the problem. And it, it's not even close to addressing the problem. It's not asking the right question. I think we're getting at the right question when you talk about, oh, maybe the, the goals should be narrowed. Maybe we should create um an international women's soccer uh culture that 
doubles down on the strengths that women bring to the game, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'd have to we should have had Yams on for this because she's helped coach some some women's teams in Uganda and a couple other places and she would know about it. She actually played college soccer as well. So she would know a lot more about this than us. I'm sure she would have a different opinion. So maybe we can have uh, I'm sure she agrees with everything clip. we say. We can record at the end. I definitely the menstrual cycle stuff. I know I've heard her say that. Yeah, she so, said that to so me that when we were hanging out in Cardiff. <laughs> That's what I heard the whole conversation was about. I was I was uh, concerned, but I'm glad it, yeah. it came around. Um, yeah, I it's it's a tough issue. I mean, it all comes back to the the main phrase is equal pay for equal play. I guess the question is, is it equal play? Um, and I mean, and then even then, you have questions about whether we should look at total amount of money per person, or is it more about the bargaining agreement that they argue for if they're paying more players? and guaranteeing a different type of infrastructure. Uh, I mean, in that sense, it's a lot more like the real gender pay gap and that it's just a lot more complicated of an issue than in just looking specifically at, at income. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot to be said here. We'll see. I think the, I imagine that the case will go on for a while uh, till after the World Cup. But uh, I, I do encourage you, Eddie, to watch the Women's World Cup because – they are great, and I think they'll you know they're always challenging for the title, and it is it's not comparable. There a lot of these articles were trying to draw comparisons between women's uh, national basketball association and the men's and in the NBA, and it's it's very different than that. And I don't think the pay structure should really mirror that at all. Yeah, the, it's counterproductive to bring in those kinds of comparisons. I think it is. It's uh, yeah, it is definitely. Um, it's interesting. I mean, we could bring in, I, I know there was a couple of years ago, Serena Williams's challenge to the women's tennis association getting paid a lot less for the winners than mm-hmm. the men's. And I think they've rectified that. So the women's get paid oh, the cool. same, even though the women's game does bring in a lot less viewers. So there's the same argument at mm-hmm. the same time. Um, it, it, it's just a strange, so you can't really, in many ways, sports is kind of a microcosm for larger society, but in this sense, I think you have to see sports as something that doesn't have a perfect parallel to the wider economy and kind of workforce because in I don't think there's an argument that either gender should make more money for doing diff- like the same thing in a different way with different outcome in any other job but because it's split and it's it, sports are meant to inspire like what we're what they're producing is entertainment what they're producing is entertainment but it's also kind of inspiration and uh role models and kind of a way of life so it's not yeah. just this economic output that you can measure like you can in, in other yeah. industries and i think that's something that goes undervalued when we talk about these pay gaps that i think is definitely in the in the women's national team's favor because what they're actually contributing is a lot more than the victories, which are amazing, but they're also giving people hope, people that otherwise can't feel like they're represented um, in the same way. Wow. I think I'm going to go try to join the women's national team now. You inspired me. Are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> Should we go back to, to mental cycles um, now? Or are we good? No, I just think that I think I agree with everything you said. I just don't think that that's the right argument is equal pay for equal play. I I think it's a different game. I think it's a fundamentally different. We're, we're talking about fundamentally different 
games and different cultures and different like from from every aspect of it is is different and so i don't think we're talking about even when we say the world cup and the women's world cup and the men's world cup we say that as if that's used as if it's the same parallel and they're just different completely different universes you know I mean, I, I see that with the, the sport outside of the World Cup, but I do think the world the Women's World Cup, you know, down the number of viewers and the number of countries that are competitive. Um, but it is pretty damn exciting. I'm not making I'm not making a judgment on how exciting or not exciting or any yeah. of the content of the play at all. It's just there's less countries that participate, there's less viewers, there's less That's money, true. there's less countries that host there's less uh, everything. And so I'm not even necessarily saying that that is a result of the like capability of the players or the talent or the content of the game at all. I guess those are all just facts, you know? But but yeah, I mean it makes sense. I stand by my original opinion that the men's team should not get paid any more than just flights to and from the games and accommodation while they're playing on the team. Yeah, treat it like the Olympics, right? Olympic athletes don't get paid. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, I think if there's a player who that two hundred fifty thousand dollars would make or break them wanting to play or not play, that's probably not a player we want on the pitch, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but obviously it's different for women because they don't have this whole um, kind of pro soccer lucrative revenue stream. It makes it tough because it's compared, like you said, like I think the, the men's to women's World Cup, are they are more similar than not similar, but the men's to women's game at the professional level are very different and the way that they're funded and the way that the competition takes place and the, just the amount of professionals that there are across certain countries is very different. Um, and so, yeah, it's a somewhat of a false dichotomy. Well, and, but, and how uh, much of it too is that, and you, you could say this for men's certainly as well, but how much of it in women's soccer is just the women's teams who dominate are just the rich countries of the world or the countries where women have rights. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could say that. I mean, I think that the problem is that you could pretty much say that about men's soccer as well. No team from, from Africa has ever won or even made the semifinals. Right. Um, Ghana's never no team from Asia. Yeah, this, it's a, it's pretty much just Latin yeah. America. I think Mexico won one, and then Europe. So it's more or less similar right. in that regard. Um, but the, I'd say yeah, the, the mid level competition in the men's game is is obviously a lot more competitive um, than the right. women's. But that doesn't mean that the like the top teams are all pretty competitive going into the World Cup. I think probably four or five teams have a legitimate chance of of winning yeah. it. Cool. Yeah, man. Um, well, I think all my liberal progressive friends are going to burn me at the stake for this episode. I thought we were, I thought we did it fair and balanced. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Now they are. Sorry, I put it over the edge. (laughs) So good. I don't know. I'm interested to hear back from, from the birthday girl on this one see how she because i've talked to her about this before and obviously she uh she sides with the the women's team mostly mm. um but yeah it'll be interesting to hear what hopefully she just 
isn't so mad that she refuses to talk to us, but uh, it'll be interesting. To well, see. you were very diplomatic. I, you know, it's. Uh, it's I did refrain from talking about so. the I mean, WNBA. <laughs> the W. It's just an entirely different issue. I hated how they kept bringing it up in the in the yeah. articles. Um, we'll post the articles at the end. I feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, with nice stuff. If mean, if it's mean stuff, just text me and make me cry in, in private. Um, <laughs> and and uh, if if you didn't like this, don't rate us. If you did, five stars only. It's accepted <laughs> on iTunes and anywhere you get your podcast. Yeah, it's one of those weird uh, <laughs> updates to iTunes. It's only accepting five star reviews right now. So don't even bother. Yeah, trying it's to really make, strange. Like, yeah, yeah. Podcast.